Well, let's pray over the Word tonight. Father, tonight we thank You for Your Word. Thank You, Lord, that when You gave the Word to those people of God over that over all those years, Lord, you knew exactly what you were th- what you were saying. I thank you that your word is is something that we can rely on. We can take to the bank, and we thank you, God, that that what you've said you mean, and what you mean you've said. Tonight we thank you for it, Holy Spirit. You wrote the book, really, and we ask you to teach tonight. Ask for your voice to be heard in our spirits, that we might know what it is you would have us to know. God, we're so grateful to you for Jesus. We're so grateful for the testimonies we've heard here tonight of just how good you are. We give you praise tonight. We give you honor. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 What do you think about Jesus? That's a pretty loaded question, isn't it? What do you think about Jesus? In, in light of revival that's coming in this country, all around us, what do you think about Jesus? A lot of churches don't have any idea that there's revival happening all around. A lot of them don't know. Uh, you know, apart, when Jesus operated in the earth, he always operated in the power of God wherever he went. And it wasn't just because he was the Son of God. It's because he was the Son of Man. And the Bible says in Philippians that he divested himself of all those heavenly attributes and he became a man. Okay, So he operated as a man in the earth. But God flowed through him. The power of God flowed through him, which is what happens during times of revival. So we think about Jesus. What do we think? We need, the church needs, the power of God. We, the church, this part of the church, we need the power of God to operate. We need to be hungry for Him so that His power will flow so others can be a part of that. I realized this week when churches operate outside the power of God, nothing they do really matters. It just, become, it just becomes a meaning. Drawing a crowd doesn't really matter if the power of God's not there. Having a large social media platform is actually irrelevant if there's no power of God. I mean, truly, you can, you can have any, come in, you can emotionally move a whole audience. And that's meaningless without the power of God. There has to be more than just, just the big show. Because churches without the power of God, I'm not saying every church is this way, but churches without the power of God basically are just firing blanks. And the warfare that is needs to be that needs to be taking place today in the church, we don't need to be firing blanks. We need to be firing the real thing. We need to have the power of God. We need to see God move in people's lives. I mean, we watched that movie the other night, and 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 I was impressed by the fact that all these hippies came and got born again, not because they were hippies, but because the power of God was present, and they were delivered, and they were healed, and they were set free. Because that's what needs to happen. That's what revival will bring. We need that type of thing. What we need today is a real encounter with the real Jesus. Not just some theological Jesus, the real one. The one who was raised from the dead, who is seated at the right hand of the Father. 
the real Jesus who operates in us by the Holy Spirit. I mean, we want the real thing and not something counterfeit. Have you noticed that people have strange ideas about Jesus? I mean, when you think about it, and we talked about this before, that more than half of all youth pastors and, and children's pastors in America do not have a biblical worldview. What do you think they're teaching their kids about Jesus? Pastors have a struggle, a struggle with a biblical worldview of Jesus. Why, why? People have strange ideas about Jesus. And listen to this. They always have. Jesus asked his disciples one day, he said, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? They gave him some flaky answers. I mean, they told him weird stuff about who he was. That he was that he was John the Baptist raised from the dead and all kinds of weird stuff that they were talking about because the devil is doing everything he can to prevent people from meeting the real Jesus. He wants us to be introduced to the counterfeit. He wants us to hear another gospel. But there's a real Jesus out there. And so he asked him that and I had all these strange ideas. And then he said... Well, who do you say I am? Now, there's the question. Who do you say? I love Peter, man. He just said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He basically said, you are the anointed one, the Messiah. You're the one we believe in. You are the son we've been waiting for, the son of the living God. I mean, they had strange ideas, but Peter got right to it. Today, people have weird ideas about Jesus. I mean, you ask people all the time, and, 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 and they, they, many have them in the same category as Buddha and Muhammad and Confucius. And that, that's, that's what they think. And listen, and some of those people, most of those people that I'm talking about, they go to evangelical, some even spirit-filled churches because they've never been taught about the real Jesus. They've never, they, they, they're trying to modernize who He is, which is fine. It must be relevant, but Jesus is not on the same level as those, those other entities. Jesus alone is God. Many people think of Jesus according to the religious pictures they've seen of Him. I mean, if you've ever gone to some, some of the more liturgical churches and you see the pictures of Jesus, you know, and most of the time He has a halo or something on His head and people have that in mind about Jesus. Well, that, that, that's not really who Jesus was. That's not what Jesus did. I mean, people didn't even recognize Him as the Messiah until the Father introduced him at baptism. Even after that, they had a hard time recognizing who he was. I mean, some people think he's this sad guy. Oh, well, you know, he's the man of sorrows. He didn't become the man of sorrows till he hung on a cross and he took the sorrows. That's when he was the man of sorrows. That's the only time he was the man of sorrows. But they have, they have this idea he was some sad guy and that he has all these rules that we have to follow. And that, that if you don't follow the rules, he's checking you off the list. Some people think that he was so heavenly that he didn't fit here on earth and that he kind of floated around everywhere that he went and spoke in King James English. <laughs> oh, thou art healed. Thou art this and that. They, they, they have that. Some people think of him as a Hollywood Jesus. I mean, you go see the, the movies of Jesus and, 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 and in Hollywood. And I remember I saw a movie one time where Jesus looked like this blonde, blue-eyed guy. You know, he's always, you know, people have that idea of who he is and what he does. I mean, much of the church believes that Jesus exists to meet my needs. And if he doesn't meet my need, I'm gone. Because they don't recognize him as Lord. What does the Bible really teach about Jesus? 
because this is what we, if we want to have revival, we got to have this Jesus, the one from Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. That's the Jesus we have to have. The Bible teaches us that he was a real man. 100% God, 100% man. Not 50-50, 100% each. I mean, he was, he was the son of God. He was the son of man. The Bible says he was like us, tempted in all ways like as we are in Hebrews chapter five, chapter 4. He identifies with the feeling of our infirmities. That's who he is. He hungered and he thirsted just like we do. He was utterly dependent upon the power of God. He had to walk by faith just like we do. He set the example for us. He cried. He laughed. He hurt. He had to yield his will to accomplish the plan of the Father. Remember in the garden, he said, I don't want this, but it's not what I want. It's what you want that matters. He had to yield his will. I mean, this is the Jesus we need. We need the Jesus of the Bible. We need to reread over and over the pages of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Find out who the real Jesus is. Find out what he's like because he's like that. I mean, it's not enough to simply say, uh, you know, well, to me, he said, no, no, he needs to be who he is. That's why Jesus said, who do you say I am? And Peter had the right answer. Well, to me, you're, you're this. No, no, what is he? What does the Bible say he is? So let me read you three passages of Scripture kind of as, as, we, as we look at a couple of things. The Bible says this in Psalm chapter 78, verse 41. It says, Yea, they turned back and tempted God. Now the word tempted here means to assay or to test. They're testing God. And limited the Holy One of Israel. They tested God and they limited Him. We don't want that. We want Him to be unlimited. Matthew 5, verse 29. The Bible says, And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And you know that's the story of the woman with the issue of blood. Later on the same chapter, verse 42. The Bible says, And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of twelve years, and they were astonished with a great astonishment. This is Jairus' daughter. Twice in the book of Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 is one of the most exciting chapters in the Bible. I mean, I don't know if you've read it recently, but it's very exciting. Matthew chapter 4 concludes with Jesus taking a nap on the back of the boat. And the storm comes and the disciples come and they say, Jesus, don't you care that we're dying? Because they thought he didn't care. Jesus got up, he calmed the storm. He looked at them and he said to them, where is your faith? Then they get off the boat, they get, on the, they get to this place called uh, Gadarene, to, to, to Gadara, and there's this Gadarene demoniac, and this guy has 6,000 demons. One guy, 6,000 demons are in him. That's a lot of demons. They must not take up a lot of space because he had 6,000 of him inside of him. And, and, and when you read the, the gospel and, 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 and Jesus said, what is your name? He's not asking the demons what their name is. He's asking the guy what his name is. Okay, but the demons can't keep their mouth shut and they said, Legion, for we are many, or whatever they did. And I think they were trying to throw Jesus off. It didn't bother Jesus. He cast 6,000 demons out of one guy. He allowed them to go into a bunch of pigs and the pigs were smart enough not to keep them. They jumped in the, in the, in the water and died. So next, Jesus, is, he, they go back across the water. He gets out of the boat. He's approached by a man named Jairus, who's the ruler of the synagogue about his dying daughter. 
And I'm sure you've all read this chapter. I mean, Jesus tells him he'll come and heal her. The guy gets the bad news along the way that his daughter is already dead. And he tell, they say, not, 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 don't bother Jesus anymore. And Jesus tells him not to be afraid, but to keep on believing. Okay? Then, as they're going, he's interrupted by, he, he's interrupted, uh, by a woman with an issue of blood who's been sick for 12 years. The Bible says she spent all of her money on doctors, and they didn't help her. She only got worse. Now, that's the doctor you want to go to, probably. No, you don't. But the Bible says she heard about Jesus. And she said, if I can but touch the hem of his garment, I will be made whole. And so Jesus told her her faith made her whole. In fact, as he's walking, he just felt power go out of him. And he turned to see who did it. He didn't even lay hands on her. She touched him. Didn't even touch him. Touched the fringe of his garment. Touched, touched the tassel at the end of his robe. And she was healed. And he turned around and said, who touched me? And they all said, everybody's touching you. And he said, no, nope, somebody touched me differently. And so then he finally gets to the synagogue ruler's house. He, all these people are mourning. They hired the mourners to come and cry and do all the stuff. And Jesus throws them out. They didn't like that very much. And they laughed at him. He threw them out. And so he raises this little girl from the dead. Okay, so in, the, in, that, in that story, in those two stories I just talked to you about, it uses the word straightway. Straightway the woman was healed. Straightway the daughter got up straightway in those two verses we read. Now, I told you, Mark is the action gospel. It uses this word straightway and immediately more than any other book of the whole Bible. All right. In fact, the Bible says in Mark 5.30 that Jesus immediately or straightway felt power go out of him when the woman touched the tassel of his garment. The word straightway means this. It means directly, at once or soon. In other words, it means all of a sudden or suddenly or immediately. I mean, these two people were suddenly healed. The woman with the issue of blood was suddenly healed. The girl who died was suddenly healed. So we find that that word is used all over in the book of Mark, and we're going to look at that suddenly for just a minute. We find in Mark that when Jesus came out of the baptismal waters, the heavens were suddenly, according to the word, ripped open, and the Holy Ghost came upon him. That's what the scripture teaches us. That suddenly Jesus called to Peter, James, and John, and they suddenly left their fishing business and followed him. We see in, in Mark that Jesus suddenly went to a synagogue on the Sabbath day. And a man brought to Jesus was suddenly cured of deafness and was able to speak because now he could hear. A man, uh, a man came to Jesus and begged him to help his unbelief to cast the devil out of his son. We find that Jesus prayed for Peter's mother-in-law, and the fever suddenly left her. Jesus spoke to a man that was paralyzed as he was lowered through the roof, and he was suddenly cured. Blind Bartimaeus was suddenly cured of blindness when he got Jesus' attention on the road from Jericho. There's a lot of suddenlies in the book of Mark. I mean, things happen suddenly. Now, they got some things suddenly. Would you like to get some things suddenly? Oh, I'm glad you said yes. Because I want, I want what they got. I want this Jesus in my life. I want the Jesus that did things suddenly. And this is what I know. If Jesus did it for them, he will do it for me. And he will do it for you. Because we'll read the verse later on. He's no respecter of persons. What he does for one, he does for all. He's no respecter. Now, he is a respecter of faith. Let me throw that out there to you but he is not a respecter of persons. Does anybody in this room need a suddenly to take place? Yes. Maybe so. So the fact is many 
have limited God. Yea, they turned back and tempted God. They assayed God and decided that he didn't measure up and that he wasn't good enough. And so they limited the Holy One of Israel. The word limited literally in the Hebrew means to grieve, to pain, to wound, to trouble, to cause pain. It causes God pain when we don't trust Him. It limits what He's able to do if we don't trust Him, if we don't believe Him. All right? The Holy Spirit is grieved when we fail to believe that the Word of God is true and that the God we serve is still the God of the Bible. Amen. He is still the God that parted the Red Sea. He's still the God that rained down fire on Elijah's sacrifice after he doused it with gallons of water. He's st- I love this. He's still the God that made the sun stand still for Joshua. Remember that story? He's still that God. He's the God that manifested His power in the ministry of His Son, the Lord Jesus. He's the God that caused the very shadow of Peter to fall on people to heal them and cast demons out of them. He's still the God that used handkerchiefs touched by Paul to heal and deliver people. He's still the God of the Bible. He will never change. All right? And people think, yeah, but that's the Bible. They needed miracles more in those days. Are you kidding me? Did those people need miracles more than we do? Were those people more deserving than we are? Think about this. Jesus, the Bible says, preached to multitudes. And then it says, and he healed them all. A multitude of thousands of people. Do you think every one of those people that got healed deserved it? Chances are pretty slim. Do you think all those people had perfect records? No. He still healed them all because the power of God was present. The power of God was always in Jesus. I mean, do, do, we need miracles too. He can heal them all. Has God changed? Is God weaker today than he was through Jesus? Is he weaker today than he was for Moses, for Joshua, for David? Well, here's what the Bible says. Malachi 3, 6 says, For I am the Lord, I change not. He's still the same. Numbers eleven twenty three says, And the Lord said to Moses, Is the Lord's hand waxed short? Thou shalt see now whether thy word shall come, whether my word shall come to pass unto thee or not. Isaiah chapter 46 verses 9 through 11 says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, there is none else. I am God, there is none like me. I like this part. Declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure, calling a ravenous bird from the east, a man that executed my counsel from a far country. Yea, I have spoken it. I also will bring it to pass. I purpose it. I also do it. That's a pretty powerful statement right there. God said, you know what? I've declared the end from the beginning. From the beginning of time, I declared the end. Why? There's not going to be an end unless He declared the beginning. What He declares is what has to come to pass. God declared your end. He's declared it already. We simply have to be be stewards of that. He said, I'll do whatever it takes to bring my word to pass. I'll call a bird and eat somebody up if I have to. I'll bring somebody from a far country because my word will stand. 
Well, well, maybe it's because God loves us less than God loved those people. Could that be true? The scripture says in John 17, 23, Jesus said, I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that thou hast sent me. Now listen to this. And hast loved them as thou hast loved me. That almost takes my breath away. God loves me as much as he loves Jesus. God loves you as much as he loves Jesus. That's what Jesus said. Isn't that awesome? And I think about that. I think, wow. Why do we doubt him? Why would we put him to the test? Why would we limit God? I'll tell you why. Because of unbelief and tradition. We've heard so many reasons why God won't do it. And we've taken to heart those things rather than believing what he said. Unbelief comes from a lack of teaching. People have been taught the wrong thing all these years that God is mad at you. If you mess up, God isn't going to help you. This is your fault. God only helps those who help themselves. I can't tell you. You know where I heard that? In church. (laughs) There is a matter of faith. There is a matter of me being obedient to Him. All those things matter. But God, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Before we could help ourselves, Jesus helped us. That's the Jesus of the Bible. He loves us. I mean, for generations, people have been taught, you never know what God will do. He might and he might not. Oh, God answers prayer. Yes, no, and wait a while. I'm just going to challenge you right now. Show me the chapter and the verse. You can find that one in. He will do what he said in his word. He's faithful to his word. I mean, we need to get, we need to find what does the Bible really say. I mean, for years, we've we said that God is no longer to involve himself in, 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 in our situations. And then we have to wait till we get to heaven to get relief. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible doesn't teach that at all. I'm glad that God got involved in my life. I'm glad that he's that he that my path went through the sea at times. I'm glad that God was there. I'm glad. See, preachers for decades, for probably centuries, have substituted what God has said based on their own experiences and their own rationalizations. We need to be bold enough to believe what he said. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. And if we start hearing all the other stuff, we'll have faith for that instead of what God said. I mean, Jesus is simply waiting for someone to believe him so he can release his power on them, in them, and through them. That's all he's waiting for. Isn't this fun? Let's look at these suddenlies in in Mark chapter 5. Let me tell you, each one of these things that took place in Mark chapter 5 is a whole sermon. And and I'm I'm just going to touch them lightly here. We saw, this, we saw this woman with the issue of blood and this, this, this Jairus. We saw them get immediate help. They got Jesus to involve himself with their situations straightway. How did they do it? Let's see what they did. 
Jesus looked at this lady after she was healed. He said, Daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. Power suddenly went out of him and she was suddenly healed. The Bible says in the Amplified, verse 29, it says, And immediately her flow of blood was dried up at the source, and suddenly she felt in her body that she was healed of her distressing ailment. But I want you to notice this part. It wasn't Jesus' faith that healed her. Does that make sense to you? He didn't even know she was there. He didn't know she was in the crowd. Now, was she breaking the law of Moses, maybe? She was unclean, and she was in a crowd. Now, I'm sure she was trying not to touch them and all that stuff, but here she is unclean and in a crowd, and she reaches out and touched him. And Jesus said, your faith made you whole. He never said, your perfection made you whole, your performance made you whole, your church membership made you whole, because she couldn't go to church. He said, your faith has made you whole. I mean, her own faith. She got her suddenly when she decided to believe what she heard about Jesus. What kind of things do you think she'd been hearing about Jesus that would make her get out of her comfort zone, get into a crowd of people that were pressing him from every side and get in that spot and reach in she had to be on the ground to touch the tassel, the hem of his garment. And she was down there and she grabbed the tassel I mean, what had she heard about Jesus that made her willing to do that? I'll tell you what she heard. He's the one who can heal you. Even though the doctors can't, Jesus will heal you. She didn't just hear he can. She said she heard he will heal you. She heard people are touching him and they're getting well. And she decided he is the healer. He must be the Messiah. I am going to touch him. She heard all you had to do was touch him in order to get healed. And she believed it. That's something. She simply believed it. Now let me say this. Her suddenly was only all at once at the end. She had to fight through some things to get a suddenly. She had to believe through some things to get a suddenly. I mean, all things, these things had to happen to her. She had to hear about Jesus. There are people who need to hear about him. Revival will give us a voice and we will begin to talk about Jesus. She had to believe what she heard. She had to say something. She had to say out loud, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I will be made whole. She had to come to where he was. When it had been terrible, she just said, well, if it's God's will, Jesus has come by here today. No, she went to Jesus. She had to go to him. She went, she fought her way through the press and she had to get to the hem of his garment and then suddenly. That's a lot to go through to have a suddenly, isn't it? Remember, when we talk about faith, remember this. Faith is not getting God to do what you want him to do. Faith is believing God. For his purpose to be done through you and in you. It just had to be God's purpose that she would get healing. All right? What about this ruler of the synagogue? His daughter was suddenly healed when Jesus finally got to his house. 
I mean, think about this. Along the way, Jesus was interrupted by the woman and the girl died. Now think if you're Jairus thinking, don't mess with her, Jesus. Just come and get my daughter before she dies. He didn't think that. Well, he might have. I don't know. I don't know what he thought. But Jesus stopped. And so they come and they tell him. They say, you know what? Don't bother Jesus anymore. Your daughter's dead. Now, that would that'd be a tough one, wouldn't it? Your daughter's already dead. He's too late. You're too late. He's, she's dead. The Bible says that Jesus, if you read in the original languages, the Bible says that Jesus said to him, don't listen to them. Don't listen to them. Keep on believing. Sometimes you've got to turn off all the noise that, 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 that is in opposition to the Word of God. He said, you keep believing. The New Living Version says, don't be afraid. Trust me. The message says, don't listen to them. Just trust me. Just trust me. Just keep on believing. Keep on believing. I mean, his suddenly came. When Jesus gets to the house, throws out the, the mourners and all the people, his suddenly came when Jesus said to her, Talitha Kumi, that means daughter, I say to thee, arise. And he laid his hands on her and she was raised from the dead. But her suddenly was, was only all at once at the end. A lot had to happen before he got to that place, before she was raised from the dead, before she was healed. This guy had to risk his reputation as the leader of the synagogue to trust in Jesus, to come. He fell at Jesus' feet. And that represents prayer, of course. He just, he had to come to Jesus and fall at his feet and acknowledge who he was. He had to believe that Jesus would do what he said. Even though Mark didn't record what Jesus said, we know Jesus said something to him because Jesus said, keep on believing. So Jesus had already said something to him. He had, he, had to, he had to believe what he said. He had to believe even after Jesus was interrupted. He had to believe even after they told him his daughter had died. He had heard some things about Jesus in the first place in order to come to him. And he had to believe what he said. And when he did, he went through all those things. And suddenly, his daughter was healed. Suddenly. Let me just say this. You're suddenly is really on the way if you don't quit. Can I tell you tonight, the devil is banking on you quitting along the way. He's been around human nature and he is doing everything he can do to get you to give up on Jesus, to quit on Jesus. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't give up. Keep believing what he says, what the Bible says about him. Don't allow tradition to rob you. Don't allow your own experience to rob you. Continue to believe Him. The Bible says in Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not going to change. That little phrase, the same, literally means Himself. It says Jesus Christ is Himself today, yesterday, today, and forever. He cannot help but be himself. He cannot and will not change who he is. I mean, he is and always will be the forgiver of sins, the healer, the deliverer, the provider. Remember, he paid Peter's taxes. He fed the four and five thousand. I mean, in the Bible, it says those. He's still those things today. Jesus can't help himself. Remember when Peter cut off Malchus's ear? 
Malchus, servant, the, Malchus, the servant of the high priest, cut his ear off. What did Jesus do? He had to do what Jesus does. He healed the guy. I mean, that's because that's who he is. That's what he does. He's the same. I love this verse of Scripture. The Amplified Version of Hebrews 13.5 says, it says, it says, let your character or moral disposition be free from the love of money, including greed, avarice, lust, craving for earthly possessions, and be satisfied with your present circumstances and with, that, and with what you have. For he, God himself, has said, I will not in any way fail you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree leave you helpless, nor forsake you, nor let you down, or relax my hold upon you. Assuredly not. Notice four times that verse he said, I will not let you down. I will not let go of you. You've got to keep hold of the promise. Isaiah 48, 3 says, I've declared the former things from the beginning, and they went forth out of my mouth. I showed them, I did them suddenly, and they came to pass. Man, God spoke and prophesied Jesus, and suddenly it came to pass 400 years later. But it suddenly came to pass. God will suddenly bring His Word to pass. He's, what He says He will do. Man, the only reason, I told you this, He declared the end from the beginning is because He saw the end before the beginning. We'll just keep believing Him. John 3, 34, this is from the New International Version, says, For the one whom God has sent speaks words of God and gives the Spirit without limit. Jesus is not limited. We can't limit Him. He has no limit. There's no limit to what God can do. The only, his only limitation is His Word and our faith. We have to find out what he said, and we have to believe that. He will never violate his word, and he will never violate our faith. The Bible says in Psalm 145, 7, Great is the Lord and, and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. Psalm 119, 96 says, To all perfection I see a limit, but your commands are boundless. Acts 10, 34, that's the verse I was going to tell you earlier. God is no respecter of persons. Jesus is God. He's the same. He's not a respecter of persons. I, we need to find Jesus of the Bible. The one of religion isn't real. Anything different than that is another Jesus, another gospel. His answer he is the answer to all we need. We've got to turn to him. We've got to believe him. We've got to know that he's willing and able to do what he's promised me he would do. I'll tell you a story, then I'll, then I'll be finished. During, during his first year of graduate study at the University of California at Berkeley, George B. Dance, I think this is how you say it, Danzig, later known as the father of linear programming, arrived late for a statistics class. He saw two problems on the, backboard, on the blackboard. He assumed they were homework, so he copied them, and a few days later he turned in the solutions. On Sunday morning, six weeks afterward, the professor appeared at his door waving a manuscript. It turned out that the professor had merely written two examples of unsolvable problems on the blackboard. <laughs> He had solved the problems. The manuscript was his work and it was ready for publication. <laughs> Do not tell Jesus it's impossible. He doesn't know that. Don't you believe it? Mark 10, 27. Then Jesus looking upon them saith, With men it's impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. And nothing's impossible with God. Mark 9, 23, Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. Our suddenly is available, but we must not listen to them. Keep on believing. Keep on believing. 
Let's pray. Father, tonight I thank you for your word. I thank you, Jesus, that you don't change. I thank you that you're faithful to all that you've said. I thank you, God, that we can have all you've promised. Tonight we love you. We honor you. We pray for a move of the Holy Spirit. We pray for revival. Jesus, you've promised us that if we'll draw near, you'll draw near. We do that tonight on purpose. We believe for it. In Jesus' name, amen.